Welcome to SaltCast, and we appreciate you joining us today. My name is Bob Turner, and I direct the Sunset Academy of Leadership Training, otherwise known as SALT. And once again today, we have with us Brother J.J. Frazier and Brother Chuck Ramsher. Thank you both for joining me again today on our podcast. Last session, we spent some time talking about uh, Brother Frazier's background and, and looking at his military service as well as his educational background and how that led to, and we, we kind of ended on talking about your book. And so I want us to spend some time today talking about that book. And just as a, a quick reminder, if you would up front, tell people about your website, where they can find the book and how they can contact you there. And we'll remind them again at the, at the end of this session, but I think that'd be a great way to lead into talking about your book telling us uh, really what led you to write this particular book and kind of break it down a little bit, tell us what's in it so that if people uh, can go to the website and get that, that it will help them understand what they're looking into. Absolutely, Bob. Okay. All right. So uh, the book was began about 25 years ago after the Gulf War. Uh, after the Gulf War, uh, recognizing from that point on in my career, that there was a huge deficit of leadership, not only in our country, uh, not only in the church, but also the failing of the home uh, yes. and the role of men and their responsibilities. And I began to wonder, okay, how can I, first of all, understand what is occurring? And then secondly, what can I do about it? And that is why I wrote the book, the second part, What Could I Do About It? How I came about an understanding, because there's all types of studies out there, but I chose to turn back to the Bible. And by turning back to the Bible, I went back, of course, to Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, of course, where... God has finished the earth, and now he's created a man, and he's going to create a woman. And then, of course, a serpent is introduced. Hence, the greatest war campaign ever conceived starts there. Wow. It's there in the Garden of Eden where we now have an adversary that's been introduced into God's perfect creation, and the war begins. And so what this book does, my book, um, which is called Understanding the Greatest War Campaign Ever Conceived, um, actually takes us back from Genesis, and it walks through all the way to Proverbs to show, all the way through Revelation, to show everything that's on the negative side that the Bible speaks of that is in contention with all of the things on the positive side that goes from what God had said in the Old Testament to what Jesus now talks about and then gives to his apostles to teach everyone else in the New Testament. And so the entire Bible is wrapped up book, chapter, and verse in this book that I've written, but it breaks it down so that one can understand it in a very systematic uh, process way of looking at 
a war. So it compares a, the uh, a physical war to what would be called a spiritual war by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, uh, spiritual warfare. And so we begin to look at how everything is constantly fighting each other. So what I ended up doing was as I started reading uh, the scripture, which is complete in itself, I decided to turn to the book of Solomon because Solomon, of course, we understand was the wisest man in the world. And he tackled all of these things. He wanted to have understanding of what life was about. And it's from the book of Proverbs that I began to realize that where Solomon does a comparison and contrast of good to evil or the wicked to the righteous, I decided to break all of those down. And what I began to realize is that there were 25 negative things that were only warring against seven positive things in his entire book. Wow. So the breakdown actually ended up being what I call negative attributes, these negative things from wicked, evil, perverse, a talebearer, the unfaithful, immoral, ungodly, and on and on and on, even the adulterer, warring against things like uh, the merciful, the just, the honorable and upright, the blameless, the good, the faithful, and most important, importantly, the righteous. Hmm. And that's only seven positive attributes warring constantly against 25 negative attributes. Wow. And this book lays it out again by book, chapter, and verse, walking from Genesis from the time of Adam and Eve all the way up to Revelation, where you see a breakout of those 25 negative and the uh, seven positive. But on top of that, and here's where the book really gets interesting, if that doesn't whet your appetites enough, um, <laughs> Solomon also laid out um, these other, uh, I don't call them attributes, I, I call them of uh, the harvest because Jesus speaks of the harvest and says that the, uh, he tells us that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And I wanted to understand what the harvest was. And the harvest is simply people, people who are rich, people who are neighbors, people who are needy, people who are poor. And what we begin to see is how the influence of those 25 negative attributes now impact those people in the harvest versus how those seven positive attributes impact those people in the harvest. So really it's a dynamic of, I'm a neighbor. I have neighbors everywhere. And if negative attributes are impacting me on a day-to-day -day basis, well, I'm going to treat my neighbor poorly. If I'm a good person or a faithful person with uh, my study in God's word, then the things that I've learned as being a faithful steward of the word is going to impact my neighbor, me as a neighbor. I'm going to be willing to go out and teach my neighbor the gospel, be good to him, to show them good things. So you begin to see the dynamic and the warring 
that takes place. And quite frankly, when you begin to look at my book, you'll actually understand this is the same process that occurs in actual physical warfare on the battlefield. Uh, even when I go into combat, there's no reason for me to treat my enemy poorly. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a responsibility to protect myself, but I treat my enemy as humanely as possible if that enemy decides to give up, or if that enemy is captured, or if that enemy is even wounded or killed in battle, I can still make sure that the enemy is returned to his family, and I can do those things that are just, those things that are honorable, those things that are just simply right. So we begin to see that the difference between physical warfare and spiritual warfare are really not that great. They're almost identical. And that's what this whole book shows. And it walks us through example by example of how all of that is true based on God's word. Oh, I love that. And what I'd like to, to see you explain maybe a little bit further is how that contributes to and how beneficial that is for leaders. And, and Absolutely. Absolutely. We as leaders are the ones who are responsible for teaching others and helping people understand what is right and what is wrong. That's what leaders do. You know, there are a lot of people who want to claim to be leaders, but they don't have the background or any understanding of what true leaders do. So if a leader is raised up in a, uh, a negative light, in a way where they always treat people poorly, well, that's what, if the leader does it, all the followers under them are going to do it. You know, and the reality is, if you have a positive leader, if you have a righteous leader, a leader who knows God's word, well, everything that comes out of that leader's mouth is going to be based on the way Jesus would treat someone. And once a leader does it, the followers will also take heed because they're going to understand that a just leader is also going to punish as well as reward, as well as mentor, as well as move people out who are wicked or evil. That's what this book explains in very excruciating detail, but also by book, chapter, and verse of scripture. So Solomon explained rightfully so, that leaders do not keep wicked people around him for counsel. You know, it's an interesting thing. You know, if, if a leader continually has the wicked or evil people around them, well, then the whole organization is going to be wrought with problems. But if a leader is surrounded by merciful people or compassionate people or just people or people that are, are of honor, then the whole organization is going to flourish because everyone knows what the rules are. Everyone understands what it is to be part of a great organization. That's and so leaders have a critical role, a crucial role in making things move in a positive direction in this world. Yeah, that's great, Chuck. Uh, as we move through scripture, we see over and over that God is no respecter of persons. Absolutely. So, so there's this objectivity to God. 
throughout you know dealing with uh, uh, particularly Isaac and and Jacob um, and and what God wanted for His kingdom. And so, I guess my question is, what role in your book do you see objectivity playing in the leader's life? Well, how do we see objectivity playing in the leader's life? Um, objectivity. Objectivity is a uh, is is interesting because when we look at how Moses dealt with a leader his leadership role, God gave him uh, Aaron as part of the leadership role, but he did not uh, dismiss um, uh, Aaron's sister and his sister. Um, and I her name escapes me right now. I just um, and and what we see is in his objectivity, he he listened to both of them. They had a role, but God's word was supreme. So you know, in the in this objective uh, sense, if I understand your question, God is not a um, uh, since he is not a respecter of person, and he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. They're both there. We have no, um, we, we have to, as leaders, leaders have to view from my book standpoint, the battlefield that's before us. And we have to try to keep everything moving in a positive direction that moves out anything that has a negative influence, anything that would cause things that would go in a bad direction. So from an objective standpoint, we're looking at all individuals. We give everyone a fair chance. Leaders have the responsibility of looking at everyone, regardless of race or um, a manner of which they perceive life to be, and then take a look at them based on God's word and set a path for them so that they can understand the direction that God would have that organization, especially the church, to go. And when there are individuals who choose not to follow that path, then uh, especially if they're adult men that cannot be changed or trained or, or follow God's word, they need to move on. And leaders have to take that hard position where, you know, God's word is supreme. Here's the direction that we're going based on God's word. And if you choose not, and that's important, if you choose not to be part of that, then you need to move on to somewhere else. Uh, and that's the hard role of elders. And, and I've had to do that in my time. And surely in my military command, I've had to do that uh, quite often. If you choose not to go in the direction of the organization, you need to find other employment or go ahead and do something else. Right. I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking about your book and for those who are listening, can you tell them where can they find the book? Uh, tell them about your website, how people can contact you, because I think there are going to be a lot of folks that are going to be interested in knowing more about what your book has to say and how they can use that in their leadership. Absolutely. The, uh, I have not uh, taken the opportunity to put the book on Amazon.com. It's, 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 uh, it's solely on my website at masteringthepositive.com, www.masteringthepositive.com. Uh, the book 
is there under a tab at the top of the page when you log on the website. And there are actually three versions of the book that are available. There's the original copy, uh, which is there for 33% um, off the price. And then there is a soft copy and a hard copy of the book. And uh, the book, again, it's 14 chapters, 742 pages. Remember, this book was started over 25 years ago. And it has been, uh, uh, I've, I've spent a lifetime now, it seems like, uh, going into detail, trying to make sure that the examples match up with everything that are said in the book. Now, one thing that I must say about the book, um, when you read this book, if you choose to order this book, I always emphasize to people that God works on a higher plane than we do. And we have to do everything we can when we start reading about the righteous or the wicked or any of those other 25 negative attributes or any of the seven positive attributes, not to see faces. We need to look at the higher level, what is wickedness in this world, and understand and try to see things the way that God looks at things. So we're looking at things in the heart of a person. And this book makes that emphasis up front. It is not to judge anyone. It is to simply identify the traits that make a person wicked based on everything that the Bible says about wickedness or everything that the Bible says about being righteous and what it takes to strive to be righteous. Because the Bible the, clearly says um, there's none righteous, no, not one. So what then can we do? Well, we can be merciful. We can be just. We can be good. We can be honorable. We can be blameless. We can do six other things and then God can decide when we've reached a state of righteousness. Right. And that's clearly made in the book. We strive to be righteous by mastering these other positive things. And if we do that, and if we focus on those attributes uh, that are positive, um, then we can still meet the requirement and see others that meet the requirements of Philippians 4, uh, verse 8. You'll see people that are honorable. You'll see things that are pure. You'll see things that are just. And we have to change the way we look at life. And isn't it funny that we find what we look for? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. I, I just I, I honor your time and I just appreciate you and Chuck both taking time out of your day. And I look forward to discussing further uh, some of these areas. I do want to remind everyone, uh, I love the name of your website, www.masteringthepositive.com. So go to the website, look at the material that's there. It's got a, a wellhouse of information besides just the book. And so I encourage you to look at the website and learn more about Brother Frazier and the work that he's doing. I want to thank all of you for listening. Appreciate you taking time out today. We're going to continue our discussion. We're going to be looking at a number of areas primarily. We're going to start focusing on the idea of the leadership crisis in the church. Uh, Brother Frazier has mentioned that a couple of times already. And so we're going to focus on that and be looking at uh, some of the reasons why that exists and what has contributed to that crisis today. 
in our next session. So join us next week as we continue our discussion with Brother Frazier and Brother Ramsher and looking at leadership in the church. God bless.